Today we are bringing a conclusion uh, to our Plan B series. Uh, Plan, B's, Plan B situations uh, in what we're talking about are those situations that we would see as less than ideal. Uh, there are situations that are oftentimes very challenging, uh, sometimes heartbreaking, uh, situations that if we were planning our ideal roadmap for life, that we would definitely not plan these types of situations into that roadmap. We have this ideal Plan A for how things are going to work out, and plan B situations are those things that definitely don't align with our plan A. Although, as we've been talking about throughout the series, uh, oftentimes what we perceive to be a plan B is actually, from God's perspective, a plan A because he wants to work through those challenging, uh, challenging circumstances to draw us closer to him and to refine us into the men and women who he wants us to be. One of the realities of plan B situations, though, is that they often leave in their wake a lot of strained and even broken relationships. Um, let me give you a few examples. One, one way that Plan B situations can really hurt relationships between people is when a choice, an action, an attitude of a person leads us direct, directly into that Plan B situation. Let me give you a few examples of that. Uh, for instance, if you have a job and you're fired from the job, or if you're laid off, it can be very easy to get very upset with the person or the people who made that decision to let you go from that job. And it's easy to direct that anger right back at them. Or if you are in an abusive relationship, or either now or in the past, or if you have a spouse who just seems like they haven't been upholding their end of the deal, it can be very easy to get very frustrated with them. Or if you or a loved one are in a car accident where someone else is at fault, and, and there's an injury and, or sometimes even death, it's very common to have just feelings of anger and bitterness and grudges against the person who caused the accident. I mean, we could go on and on list, listing example after example. I mean, whether it's a bully on a playground who makes a kid's life miserable or, or something else that, that someone is directly to blame, so it seems, for putting us in the Plan B situation. I mean, that's one source of broken relationships that are caused by Plan B situations. Another common uh, source of stress in relationships is the stress that comes from being in a Plan B situation. I think of, um, for instance, when you have a younger child who passes away tragically. Uh, there's an 80% divorce rate of the parents of young children who pass away. It's not to say that one of them was to blame for the child's death. But what, what that comes from is the stress and the relationship that results from just the, the, the sadness. And there's oftentimes communication that breaks down in that relationship. And like I said, 80% of couples who have a child who passes away, they end up getting a divorce. It shows how that stress of Plan B situations really can hurt relationships. And we see similar things if someone is going through long-term financial difficulties or long-term health issues, that these Plan B situations, whether directly or indirectly, can really strain or even break relationships between people. And we could go around the room this morning, and I'm sure all share stories of either currently or sometime in the past where we have had, been in a relationship that's caused a lot of hurt, a lot of pain, a lot of angst, where maybe we aren't speaking terms with someone or, or just something else where there's a conflicted relationship there. And so the question is, how do we respond in those situations where we are, where we have some relationship that is simply not healthy? How does God want us to respond? Thankfully, God has given us a lot of input on that topic through Scripture. 
And this morning I invite you to turn in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 50. Uh, today, as I said, we are finishing our, our series on uh, the life of Joseph, which we're calling a Plan B series. We're calling it Plan B partly because we all face those Plan B situations, but also we're looking at Joseph because he faced some serious Plan B situations in his life. This Joseph that we're talking about is not the same Joseph um, who was the adoptive father of Jesus. This Joseph that we're looking at actually lived hundreds and hundreds of years before the time of Jesus. But this Joseph that we're looking at had some major ups and downs in his life. It was really like a roller coaster. I mean, he had incredibly high highs that were, I mean, were amazing. And then he had some incredibly low lows that many of us can't even come close to directly relating to. Let me give you a little snapshot of his life up to the point uh, where we meet him today in our passage. When he was 17 years old, Joseph was sold into slavery by his brothers. Uh, They were plotting to kill him. And they decided, well, let's make a little money off of him. So they sold him to to slave traders going down to Egypt. He was sold into slavery there. And while he was in Egypt, he was very faithful to his master, faithful to God. He was given a place of great prominence and responsibility in the household where he served. But then his master's wife falsely accused him of rape. Joseph was put into prison. He languished there for years. He was forgotten there. I mean, you can imagine just what was going through his mind at that point, wondering, what in the world does God have planned for me here? Why is this happening? I've been faithful. He's in prison. Eventually, after many years, he gets out of prison. And he's elevated, actually, to second in command in all of Egypt. Egypt at that time was the most powerful empire in the world. And he was second in command largely because of the wisdom that God had given him. And part of what God had revealed to him was that there was going to be a great famine coming very soon, a seven-year famine in which nothing would be able to be grown in in terms of crops those years. And through Joseph's wisdom, Egypt was able to prepare very well for that famine. They they stored up grain. And so when the famine hit, they were the only ones in, in that part of the world who were really prepared for that famine. And so there are people coming from all over the place, not just Egypt, but all over the surrounding countries to purchase grain from Egypt through Joseph. And in the course of events, Joseph's family, who hasn't, he hasn't seen them for 20 years, um, Joseph's father thinks he's dead. The brothers have been lying about him this whole time. I'm, I imagine trying to get Joseph out of their minds. All of a sudden, they come face to face. They have uh, a very dramatic reunion. Um, I mean, you can tell it's very exciting for Joseph. And then the even more exciting reunion for Joseph was being reunited with his elderly father. And so they have a great reunion. All, the, all his family comes down to live in, Israel, or in Egypt. And then, then comes time for his father to pass away of old age. And that happens in the chapter just before what we're going to be looking at here. And they, they bury uh, Joseph's father. But then Joseph's brothers, his 11 brothers, who, or 10 brothers who sold him into slavery begin to get concerned. What if Joseph wants to get revenge on us? I mean, because 20 years earlier, they sold him into slavery. They pretended he was dead. They cast him into one of the ultimate plan B situations ever. What if he wants to get revenge on us? They're very concerned about that, especially when they see that Joseph has the authority in Egypt to do whatever he wants to them. And so they come to him, and what we see here is kind of like a conflict resolution 101 type of setting, where we are going to gain some principles from this to apply to our lives and how to deal with conflict resolution. But as we prepare ourselves to look in this passage, will you please pray with me? Oh Lord, uh, this morning obviously we're talking about conflict uh, between us and other people. 
And we recognize that this is a very relevant topic probably for every one of us to varying degrees. Uh, some of us are currently dealing with difficult situations. Some, have, some of us have recently in the past. We know that we will sometime soon in the future, Lord. Sometimes big situations, sometimes small. I pray that you'll give us wisdom uh, from the life of Joseph and his brothers, from other parts of Scripture this morning, Lord. Give us wisdom on how we can respond well to those conflicted relationships how we can honor you, and how we can seek reconciliation and forgiveness even when it's hard. So, Lord, we, we pray for your guidance and wisdom through this time in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm going to read uh, from uh, Genesis 50, beginning in verse 15, going through verse 21. So I invite you to follow along, beginning in verse 15, where it says that when Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, what if Joseph holds a grudge against us? And pays us back for all the wrongs we did to him. So they sent word to Joseph, saying, Your father left these instructions before he died. This is what you are to say to Joseph. I ask you to forgive your brothers the sins and the wrongs they committed in treating you so badly. Now please forgive the sins of your servants of the God of your father. When their message came to him, Joseph wept. His brothers then came and threw themselves down before him. We are your slaves, they said. But Joseph said to them, Don't be afraid. Am I in, God's, in the place of God? You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. So then, don't be afraid. I will provide for you and your children. And, and he assured them and spoke kindly to them. What I want to draw out of this passage is four principles that can help us in our conflicted relationships with others. As we all know, those challenges and relationships will happen. What really makes a big difference, though, is how we respond to them. And we're going to draw, as I said, four principles for how we can respond well to the challenges we have in relationships with others. And the first principle is not so much of an action we need to take, but an attitude that I think is helpful to remember when we are facing these challenging relationships. And so the first principle is this. It's to remember that we naturally want justice for others, but mercy for ourselves. We naturally want justice for others. We want them to pay um, in some way for the wrong that they did to us. But when we do something wrong, when we hurt someone else, it's very natural for us to want mercy and forgiveness. We oftentimes apply different standards to someone else than we do to ourselves. Um, think, for instance, if you're out driving down the highway, um, you're driving along... Someone is in the lane next to you talking on the cell phone. They don't seem to be paying much attention. All of a sudden, they just dart right in front of you. You have to slam on the brakes to keep from hitting them. Thankfully, you don't get into a car accident, but you, your odds are good. If you're like an average person, you're kind of upset at that person's negligence that almost caused a serious accident. It's very common at that point to want to lay on the horn, uh, to say a few choice words, to do whatever you want to do. And you can use your imagination. But it's easy to get very upset with someone else in that circumstance. And to make them at least want to recognize that they did wrong, to feel bad for what they did. Um, in certain circumstances, you even want them to pay in some way, to suffer for what they've done. But then, in this example of driving down the road, we need to recognize that sometimes, even if we're really careful in how we're driving, we still face those times where we make a bad decision behind the wheel. And we accidentally cut someone else off, or we pull out in front of someone and almost cause an accident. In those times, our reaction probably isn't quite the same as it was when someone else did that to us. 
we, we, we probably recognize we did something wrong, but we really, uh, we don't want them to lay on the horn at us. We just want mercy. We want forgiveness. We apply different standards to someone else than we do to ourselves. I mean, you could think of examples galore on this. Another example that comes to my mind is in your house with, with whether it's a roommate, a spouse, a child. That, that person leaves a bunch of dirty clothes in the bathroom. They, they just leave it a mess. You've told them so many times before, please clean up after yourself. And once again, they just leave the bathroom a huge mess. It's easy in that, at that point to get really, really frustrated with them. But then we may not leave stuff in the bathroom, but then we're in a hurry to get out the door to work or to school, and we leave a big mess on the countertop or in the sink when we really should put our dishes in the dishwasher. We've been asked to do that multiple times before, yet for some reason we fail to do it. It's so easy for us to want to receive, we want grace and mercy for ourselves. We want people to see, you know what, yeah, they, they were in a big hurry. They had, a, had something stressing them out this morning. We want grace and mercy for ourselves. But it's so easy to want justice and, and repayment from others. And I think this is a very important thing to remember when we are facing uh, challenging time, relationships with others, that we sometimes have conflicting standards that we apply to others versus ourselves. And Joseph's brothers definitely recognize this principle that oftentimes people want justice when they are wronged. The brothers here at the beginning of this passage, they definitely recognize that they have done something very bad to Joseph. And they are very concerned about how is he going to respond. We see in verse 15, they say to one another, what if Joseph holds a grudge against us and pays us back for all the wrongs we did to him? They have a significant fear here of payback. And like we said earlier, Joseph had the capability and the power in Egypt to do whatever he wanted to them. So they recognize that, you know what, he may very well want justice. And he, is, he's, he deserves to have justice if he wants it from their perspective. But they desired mercy. They came to him and said, please forgive us. We have sinned royally against you, but we want forgiveness. And so we see this, this principle laid out in their lives. That they recognize that they deserve justice. They recognize that other people, that Joseph may give them justice, but they really want mercy. And so in our lives, when we are facing conflicted relationships with other people, it's very helpful to remember that we may be applying different standards to someone else than ourselves. And so this is a call to put on a little extra patience, maybe a little extra caution, not to immediately pour out the the fury of our wrath upon someone else when, they, when we feel wronged by them, but to take a step back and ask, am I treating them the way I would want to be treated? Maybe we need to um, loosen up a little bit, um, exercise a little bit more caution and prayer before we blow our top at someone else. I think this is an important thing to remember, just to examine ourselves. Are we treating them the way we would want to be treated? So that's the first principle. The second principle we see in terms of how the brothers respond, how they went, to Joseph. We see that they went directly to the source. Um, they sent a message to him first and then appeared before him in person. They went to Joseph. They went to the source. And this is an incredibly important principle to remember anytime we are in some sort of conflict with other people. I think it's one of the most important principles in making peace and reconciling broken relationships. But going to the source is a principle that is vastly underutilized. But the brothers, to their, um, to their, I mean, I commend them for this. They go directly to Joseph. I mean, think about alternatives the brothers could have uh, lived out instead of going directly to him with their concern. One, they could have just held 
this concern inside. Uh, they, wouldn't, they wouldn't talk about it to anyone else. They just hold it inside, which would probably lead them to a significant sense of anxiety and fear of what if Joseph cracks down really hard on us. That, that fear and anxiety inside of them would inevitably lead to a wedge between them and Joseph. If they just went to Joseph, it would be healed. But if they hold it inside, it won't be healed. What if they cho- chose, instead of going to Joseph, not just to hold it inside, but to talk among themselves? The, all the brothers talking about, what if Joseph does this? What if Joseph does that? That's going to lead to speculation about, well, what if Joseph does that? But there's no guarantee that their speculation is going to be accurate to how Joseph will respond. Odds are good it's going to be very unhealthy. It's going to lead them to conclusions they're not accurate, and again, it's going to mess up the relationship between them and Joseph. Another possibility is that they could go to other people, maybe to Pharaoh, maybe to other people who know Joseph, and say, you know, we're really scared of what Joseph may do. Can you talk with him and maybe see if you can calm him down? Again, that, that draws in other people who really don't need to be in the situation, and it really does nothing to solve the original issue. But I commend the brothers that they went directly to Joseph um, with their issue. And that's something that we need to do as well, is go to the source. If we are angry at someone, if we feel hurt by someone, if we're just wondering, did that person really mean to say what I think I heard them say? Go to the source. Don't go to others. Don't just hold it inside. Go to them and clarify it. Find out. This isn't just a helpful guide from the book of Genesis. It's actually a biblical command to go to the source. We see most clearly in Matthew chapter 18, from the mouth of Jesus. He says, if your brother sins against you, go and show him his fault, just between the two of you. If he listens to you, you have won your brother over. So we see that if we have a problem with someone else, that we're called to go directly to them, just the two of us, and bring this issue to their attention. Confront them on the issue and find out, am I interpreting this correctly? Maybe there needs to be reconciliation, forgiveness, further action steps to resolve the issue. But it's so important to go directly to the source, and it is a biblical command. Uh, the last few weeks as I've been anticipating this message and just thinking about these topics, I mean, they're topics that are relevant to my life, I imagine for you as well, but I've been just kind of chewing on how do, we, how do we envision this idea of going to someone else? And here's a phrase I came up with that I think is helpful. If you don't have the guts to go to the source, you don't have God's green light to go talk with others about the issue. And and that's the bottom line. Biblically speaking, if you don't have the guts to go to the source, you have no, no, no green light from God to go anywhere else. It does take guts. It takes courage to go to that source. So oftentimes, I mean, I have conversations pretty often with people who are complaining about something or feel hurt from someone else or they just don't like the way something's being done. They come to me to talk about someone else or about some other situation I really don't have much control over. And almost ideally, every time, I'll ask them, have you talked to that person? Very rarely have they actually talked to that person. So I tell them, I really don't want to talk about that much until you go to the source to talk with that person. And then when I see that person in the next couple of weeks and follow up with that conversation, ask, hey, did you happen to go talk with the source? Very rarely do they say, yes, I have. The vast majority of the time, they just try to sweep it under the rug or they go talk with someone else or they try to come back to me and um, talk with me again about it. It takes a lot of courage to go to the source to address the situation at the root. But biblically and practically, that's what we have to do if we want reconciliation, if we want to move forward in the relationship. 
But it's so easy if we don't go to the source to store up bitterness inside of us. Bitterness is what happens when we just hold something inside, where we have some angst towards someone else, some anger that's not being released. We just hold it inside. But bitterness eats us away like a poison from the inside out. And, I mean, it poisons everything we do. And it's amazing how sometimes I meet people who are carrying some bitterness from some event that took place years earlier. It it may have even started out as a relatively small event. But they never went to the source. They just held that, 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 the anger, that frustration inside, and it grew and it festered and it poisoned them. And now they have so much anger and bitterness and grudge held up. Stemming back to one little event several years before that they never addressed with the source. But that's what happens when we let bitterness grow up and we don't go to the source. A few weeks ago, if you were here, you may have heard me talk about how in my lifetime I ate a lot of apples. I was even, even eating one between services today. I, that was my second one because I ate one this morning for breakfast. I like apples a lot. In my lifetime, I've eaten two apples that I'll never forget because they were so bad. Uh, they weren't just bad apples. They were, they were nasty. Um, I mean, the outside of the apple looked good, um, but the inside of the apple, um, there was about one millimeter or less of good apple on the outside right on the peel. Inside was a deep brown, about the color of the organ right up here. And there were worms in there. They were nasty. I'll never forget biting into those two apples, and I hope I never have that experience again. But the inside of the apples, what the inside of a person is like when they allow bitterness to take over, when, when they repeatedly refuse to go to the source, when they just store up all the hurt inside of them, that bitterness just eats away at them. And so even on the outside, they may look decent to someone else. They may look like things are going well. But if someone really gets to hear what's on their heart, if they kind of taste what that person is all about, that bitterness will come out. It will be obvious and it will leave a very bad taste in someone else's mouth. And that bad taste in someone else's mouth is the other thing that oftentimes happens when we don't go to the source, that we end up gossiping to others about the issue. We go to others rather than to the source. And what this does is not just poison ourselves, but it spreads the poison into others. Gossip is so easy to do. I mean, it's so much easier to complain to someone else than it is to go to the source. That's why I say, if you don't have the guts, though, to go to the source, you don't have God's green light to talk with anyone else about it. So we need to go to the source rather than going elsewhere. And it's also interesting, I think, to see how rumors start and how they grow when you don't go to the source. Um, One little example of that is our son, Micaiah. He's not really old enough yet to start too many rumors of his own. Um, He does like to joke, though, which is a lot of fun. But when we were in the process of adopting him and of bringing him home, there were a lot of concerns about his development because of his early malnutrition. Um, He had some developmental delays. Doctors weren't even sure if he'd ever be able to walk. He's obviously doing much better now than than the worst-case scenario. But with all those concerns, we started to hear a rumor. Someone came to Shelley one day and said, Hey, I heard that Micaiah is blind. Is that true? No, I mean, we'd never talked about him being blind. I mean, yeah, he had some other developmental delays, but blindness was not one of those things. I really am thankful that the person who heard this rumor went directly to Shelley, went to the source, and asked, is this true or not? It wasn't true, and Shelley was able to set it straight very quickly. But that shows how when you get people talking with other people without going to the source, rumors grow. But if you go to the source... 
you're able to find out what is the truth here, and you're able to resolve it. I see this many times as well. I mean, I'm the pastor of the church. I sometimes make ministry decisions that not everyone agrees with. It's one of the challenges of leading a church and walking a tightrope sometimes. Um, But there's a reality that not everyone likes every decision that I make. And that's fine. But I invite people to come talk with me about it rather than talking with others. And it's really disheartening to me sometimes to hear rumors of things that I supposedly did or said that come back to me. I'm like, when I hear them, I'm like, I don't think I ever said or did anything like that at all. But when, when people aren't talking with the source, when they're talking with each other, things grow. And, and you end up with something that's not close to the truth at all. And so what I encourage all of us to do, myself included, is go to the source. I mean, and if someone comes to you wanting to complain about something or, or say, hey, this person did this or this person did that, I encourage you, shut them down. I mean, it's easy to be a complaint receptacle where we just receive people's complaints all the time. But tell them, look, you need to go to the source. You need to go talk with that person you have the problem with before you talk with me. Odds are good if they're able to talk with the source, the situation will be resolved, and they won't have any need to talk with anyone else. So if you don't have the guts to go to the source, you don't have God's green light to talk with anyone else. So that's the second principle. I think one of the most important principles is go to the source. Um, And one more little tidbit on that. A few weeks ago, I received a very interesting phone call. Um, It was from another pastor in our district of the E-Free Church here. We had a district conference back in October. And about a week or so after the conference, I got this phone call from this other pastor. We, We talk occasionally. I mean, we know each other decently well. But I got a call, and he just started recounting a couple things that happened in the conference. He's like, are you angry at me? Do you, are you upset with me for some reason or another? And I thought, what? Uh, no. And he, so he started to tell the reasons why he thought I was upset with him. And a big part of it went back to in the big ballroom where all the pastors were together at the end of one of the sessions. Um, I kind of, I was in a hurry to go talk with another pastor. And I, I said hi to this guy, but I didn't really stop and talk very much. And because I wanted to talk with this other guy real quick, I was making a beeline over to him. And this pastor who called me felt like maybe I was trying to ignore him, or I, I was upset with him. So he was going in his mind through several scenarios of what could have caused me to be upset with him. I'm very thankful that he called me to clarify this, because in the course of about five minutes, by going to the source, we were able to clarify, you know what? Brandon doesn't have anything against him at all. It's just partly a perception. Partly I confess, you know what? Yeah, I could have been a little bit more friendly there. I was in a hurry, and I, I didn't really acknowledge you as much as I could have. So it gave, by him coming to the source, it gave a chance for a confession of I was in a hurry and wasn't as polite to you, or I, I wasn't as talkative as I could have been. But also, it allowed us to just have reconciliation to clarify, you know what, yeah, there's no issue there. But if he would have held that inside, it, I mean, it could have led to a lot more either questioning or bitterness or a, a wedge in our relationship. But thankfully, he went to the source, and I'm so thankful he did. And again, that's what we need to do as well. Go to the source. So that's the second principle. The third principle that we see here is that God is the authority. So we need to release the situation to him. We see the brothers came to Joseph. Um, They asked for forgiveness. And we see immediately that his response was that he wept. I mean, he's sad that they even had this idea that, that... He could want revenge on them. But then he says in verse 19, Don't be afraid. 
Am I in the place of God? When he says, am I in the place of God, he's saying, look, I'm not God. I'm not the one who should ultimately have any sort of vengeance or the exercise of justice in this matter. I mean, there's still a role, uh, an importance of accountability in our relationships. But Joseph is saying, look, I'm not the one who should be taking vengeance and revenge on you for this matter. I'm going to leave that to God. He's the one who can judge between us. He's the one who can take care of that. I'm going to entrust the situation to him. And I think this is a very important principle, especially when we go to the source, when, when going to the source doesn't bring reconciliation, when we still have angst in the relationship, we're wondering, what do we do now? The important thing is to remember, you know what? God is still in control. He knows what's going on here. And we need to just trust him to release this thing to him. Romans chapter 12 is a passage I go to a lot uh, in dealing with some of these difficult circumstances. In Romans 12, Paul says, Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everybody. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, It is mine to avenge, and I will repay, says the Lord. So God will repay what needs to be repaid. And in these circumstances, when we go to the source and still can't find reconciliation, we need to just entrust the situation to him. Even when we do go to the source and we find forgiveness, we still need to say, you know what? I'm not the ultimate authority here. God is. I'm going to trust God with this. It takes faith. But we need to trust these difficult situations to God. And also by recognizing God as the authority, we recognize that we are also under his authority. And we, don't, we aren't the supreme authority in the issue. As we already talked about, we can have skewed perspectives on these things. But 1 Corinthians 4 is a place that talks about the importance of us recognizing that God is the authority. In 1 Corinthians chapter 4, Paul, Apostle Paul is um, addressing some issues of some people complaining about him, questioning his authority in leading the church. He says in uh, chapter 4, verse 4, My conscience is clear, but that doesn't make me innocent. It is the Lord who judges me. And then he says, don't, therefore, don't judge anything before the appointed time. God knows our motives. He'll expose to light what's hidden in darkness. He's saying, look, even when I examine myself, I don't see everything clearly in, in who I am. How then am I supposed to judge others? And ultimately, in saying this, Paul's saying, I even submit myself to God's authority. I'm going to trust him to work this out the way he wants to. And that's really a big theme in our whole Plan B series is that we can't control all of our circumstances. But our call is to submit to him, to surrender, to follow him, and to seek to grow even when we don't understand what's going on. And so when we recognize that God is the authority and release the situation to him, we're saying, God, I surrender to you. You have your will done in this situation. Now we come to the final point, uh, principle from this passage on how we deal with conflict in our lives. And it's this. Because of God's grace to us, we should show grace to others. Grace should really be our default position in how we treat others, even in times when we're hurt. I'm, I'm just amazed at Joseph's reaction here. It definitely shows the depth of character and a growth process that God has taken Joseph through during his uh, years of Plan B experiences. How he's able to forgive his brother's when they have wronged him so badly years before. He definitely didn't let bitterness and a grudge grow up. Instead, he saw God at work in the situation, and through that, through God's work, he was able to extend forgiveness to his brothers. He said, you intended to harm me, 
But God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done in saving many lives. And he tells them that, you know what, I'm not, I'm not only going to forgive you, I'm going to provide for you. And then he speaks words of reassurance and encouragement to them. I mean, that's simply amazing to me. But what he does, he sees that God's at work, even though these others intended to hurt him, he sees that God's at work. He sees that God has blessed him immensely, even though Joseph didn't fully deserve it. And he's going to pass on those blessings to others around him. Now, we have a benefit living in the 21st century that Joseph didn't have. And that benefit is the gospel of Jesus Christ. What Jesus did on the cross. The good news that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. See, Jesus is really our ultimate example. And we are called to what could be called gospel-empowered forgiveness. Joseph was able to forgive them because of what God had done in his life, of, of seeing God's grace to Joseph, and Joseph able to pass that grace on to his brothers. But now we have the example of what Jesus did for us in coming while we were sinners, while we were rebelling against God. And Jesus died on the cross to pay the death penalty we deserve. And he forgave us when we certainly didn't deserve forgiving. And that's to be our model as well. In Ephesians chapter 4, Paul talks about how the gospel should empower our forgiveness of others. In Ephesians 4, he says in verse 31, Get rid of all bitterness, rage and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. So these are some of the things that can hurt relationships. He says, instead, be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. So Paul is looking at the example of Christ's love for us and his grace and forgiveness for us as being the motivator for us being able to forgive others around us who've hurt us. So the gospel is really our motivation in this. It's amazing when you experience grace and forgiveness, how you can pass it on to others. Many times if, you, if, if, if we are struggling to forgive someone else, odds are good that that is an indication that we are not fully understanding or applying the gospel to our lives. Because when we, when we receive grace, it should free us up to pass that grace on to others. An example of this that I think of is back a few years ago, uh, I was lending my truck to a friend. Um, my truck has been a popular thing for people to use when they need to move something. And I, mean, I extend the offer to the church family here too. If you ever need to move something, you are free to borrow the truck. But this one time, this friend was borrowing the truck to move some stuff. And he was taking a while to get the truck back. And I didn't think that much about it, but I was looking at the clock thinking, I wonder, I hope everything's all right because he's been gone quite a while. Well, he called my house not too long after that and said, um, Brandon, uh, I was in an accident. Um, it wasn't a big accident, but my truck got rear-ended at a stoplight. Um, he was working out the details of that. And let me tell you what my first reaction was. Well, let me tell you, tell you what my first reaction could have been. That truck meant, has meant so much. I mean, it's 15 years old now. I had it back when I was in high school. It was, I worshipped that truck, literally. Well, I didn't bow down to it. But... I mean, the same, w- same way I worship God, the significance I put in God now, I put in that truck back then. And it would have been so easy for me to be very frustrated with him, to blame him, to be angry at him, even though really it wasn't even his fault that the truck got rear-ended. It was the mistake of another driver. But it would have been very easy for me to be very angry with him. Well, here's what my very first thought was when he told me on the phone that the truck had been in an accident. I thought back to an incident a few years before where I, I just basically made a boneheaded decision to drive a friend's car through a snowdrift. 
and the car got stuck in the, I mean, it wasn't, it was through a yard um, with snow this deep out in the yard in South Dakota. And like I said, there's no rationale for why I would do, well, I, there was rationale. I thought I was doing something really helpful, but anyway, long story short, I got my friend's car, my friend trusted me with her car, it's a four-wheel drive Subaru, we thought I would be able to get through. They got stuck out here in the snowdrift in the middle of the yard, and it took about six guys to push the car out. I'll never forget when I went and told my friend, hey, if you looked out the front window, the car is out there in the yard. Um, I mean, she gave me so much grace and forgiveness for that boneheaded decision I made to try to drive the car through the yard and through that snowdrift. And that was my first thought when my friend called me and told me that my truck had been in an accident when he was driving it. I thought of how grace and forgiveness had been shown to me and that helped me immediately just apply that to him. Say, you know what? That happens. No big deal. We'll get it repaired. It's fine. But that's the way it should be, that when we experience the grace of God in our lives, that we should pass that grace on to others. It's not easy, though. And I want to close today with a couple of practical points that we can apply to our lives of what to do when forgiveness is difficult. Because forgiveness is still hard. Even when we see God's forgiveness of us, it can still be really, really hard. Now, a lot of these have to do with prayer and about adjusting our attitude in the situation. The first thing is to pray for ourselves, to pray that God will help us to understand the depth of his forgiveness of us so that we'll be able to pass it on to others, that he'll be able to help us understand the gospel more fully so that we will release a bitter spirit, release that desire for justice and for revenge, that we will be able to extend forgiveness to others. And secondly, Pray for the person who we feel has hurt us. And don't just pray that God will convict them. You can pray that if you want. But also pray for God's blessing on them. That seems counterintuitive, but that's biblical. To bless those who curse you. To pray for those who persecute you. Even pray, pray for God's blessing on their work, on their family, on their walk with God. I believe that in the process, if we are praying that God will be at work in their lives in this way, God will also be at work, ideally, softening their hearts towards this situation as well. And definitely when we pray for others in this way, it softens our hearts towards them, which makes a huge difference. Thirdly, I find it very helpful to pray through Scripture, specifically Scripture that talks about how God will handle the situation. As I said earlier, Romans 12, that verse I read earlier, is one of the main passages I passages I go back to when I need to be reminded that, you know what, God will handle the situation. It's not turning out exactly how I want that. It still hurts what that person did or said. But I'm going to entrust this to God. I'm not going to tr- take vengeance into my own hands. So pray through that type of scripture. And fourthly, take the high road. It's so easy when people are gossiping about us, when people are hurting us, to want to take a low road, basically a stoop to their level and start to gossip in return or backstab in return. That doesn't help anyone. And it definitely doesn't lead to reconciliation. It doesn't honor God. It's not going to help us get over our grudges or bitterness. Instead, take the high road. Choose to say, you know what? I'm not going to gossip about this person. I'm not going to talk badly about them. I'm going to seek to bless them. I'm going to seek to pray for them. I'm going to be kind to them when I see them. And let God take care of the situation for us. My prayer is that we will be people who want to be peacemakers. One of the best ways we can do that is by seeking to extend mercy to others as God has extended mercy to us, by going to the source, and by trusting the issues to God, recognizing, you know what, ultimately vengeance is not in our hands to begin with. 
Now as we wrap up the Plan B series, my prayer is that we, as we face the inevitable Plan B situations, the challenges in our lives, that we will grow through them. One of, the, one of the important ways to grow, as we've been talking about today, is in our relationships with others. To not let Plan B situations poison our relationships. But also that we'll be growing closer to God, that we will recognize, you know what? He wants to do a work in our lives, even through the hardest of situations. That he always wants us to grow. So that's my prayer, that we will be growing through the ups and the downs. And that we will look to Joseph as a model for how to survive all the Plan Bs of our lives. Let's pray.